You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And this is attempt number three to record this stupid episode because, of course, we're having technical issues because that's par for the course <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it's a shame. It's uh, it's ruined my two different jokes that I made for my intro. <laughs> so, um, my first one was uh, me expressing gratitude for being able to podcast again. So, of course, the universe had to intervene and was like, ah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> and and um, I was running yeah, with that joke. Cool. I was doing yes and and everything. And uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> the universe hates us a little bit right now. As is evidenced it by the fact that, that we are halfway through August and we are doing our second episode of Joel Lie. <laughs> Which is now Joel Schumagus. <laughs> that's, I think that's actually a better name. It's pretty good. I, I mean, you know, I'll, if I have to take credit for anything, then, then I guess I'll take credit for that. <laughs> well, you oh, can man, totally Nathan. take credit for that. Yes, Eric. How are you doing? Well, you know, uh, since we're recording, I'll not go into the full answer of how I'm doing, but the short answer <laughs> is there's still a pandemic, so that still sucks. Uh, there's still a ton of racial injustice in the world, so that still sucks. And I'm about to have kid number two during a pandemic, so that is both awesome and just utterly terrifying. Uh, so, so, yeah. And, yeah. I hear you, man. Um, yeah, 2020 has been kicking my ass, too. Uh, but you know what? We're here, and um, I've been looking for this uh, this temporary escape from reality for quite a while now. Um, so let's get into it. I'm, I'm super excited about this episode. <clears throat> so uh, we are continuing with our Joel Schumacher coverage. And uh, our first episode was Lost Boys, which very timely. Um, it was almost the anniversary of when that came out when we recorded, which was actually totally unintentional. Mm -hmm. But hey, sometimes the universe does kick us a, a good one every once in a while. Uh, but now we are continuing on <laughs> with two of his, I, I want to say, most talked about or at least most well-known, not necessarily most well-loved movies. Um Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, yeah, man. Uh, I I watched these almost a month ago. <laughs> is how long we've been trying to record this stupid episode, but whatever. Enough about that. We'll continue yeah, on with the actual forever, things. Um, but I still. I <laughs> Thankfully, uh, these are two movies that. Um, are kind of burned into my brain from the number of times that I watched them when I was younger. So I don't feel like I'm going to miss too much of a beat here. Uh, because yeah, I, I 
unironically adore these movies. And um, that is totally the fine. Mind one. <laughs> Batman and Robin. Yes. Yeah, is but, it Batman and Robin? Uh, okay, so, so here's the thing. We are going to try to cram two movies into a single review, which historically has taken us much, much longer to do. Um, but, but I feel like this is going to be a little bit easier because it's almost like we are talking about one movie, you know, like we're talking about two parts and, mm-hmm. and so there's going to be a few discrepancies here and there, but at least we're not trying to talk about like Batman and Robin and falling down in terms of having to jump drastically between the films. Um, but we are going to do the same thing that we do with all of our reviews where we talk about our prior information. Yeah, I, yes, go ahead. I, I was getting into that intro spiel. Huh? Oh, no, no, go for it. I can, I can get into it in a minute. <laughs> it's, our, our connection issues are gonna going to be fun Zoom. today. <clears throat> all right. So, so like all of our reviews, we are going to, um, we're going to start with our prior information and how that shaped our expectations. Uh, what we thought of the films from technical standpoints, what we thought of them from an emotional standpoint slash our analysis of the films. Uh, how rewatchable we think they are and who we recommend those movies for slash how well they pair with other movies. So with that all being said, uh, Eric, what's your prior information of Batman, uh, Batman forever and Batman and Robin? I know at some point I'm going to slip up and say Batman returns just cause that's the one that I love the most. And that's the one I'm most prone to say, but yes, we were talking about Batman forever. If I slip up and say returns, I mean forever and, and Batman and Robin. <laughs> um, first of all, I agree with you. Batman Returns is the best Batman movie, period. Maybe even the best Tim Burton movie. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, my prior information, I've got I've got quite a bit. So let's let me start this way. So Nathan, you know how everybody kind of has like their own James Bond, and it's usually the James Bond that they grew up with. No, it's Sean Connery. <laughs> okay, sure, fine, fine. Um, <laughs> You, you have you have Sean Connery, you have Daniel Craig, uh, you have Timothy Dalton, you have George Lazenby, and then that other guy that I guess was in like most of the Bond movies, whatever. Roger Moore. <laughs> Roger Moore, the one who my parents think of every time they think of James Bond, because that was the one they grew up with. Which I, I mean, he's, he's not the worst James Bond. He is a very he is a very good middle of the road Bond, but uh, yeah. Anywho, we're I've not talking about James Bond. The Roger Moore James Bond movies. They, they are all just fine. <laughs> um, Some of them are dumb, and I it's, love them. It's interesting because <laughs> I think that um, if we had to pick a Roger Moore of, uh, of the Batman universe, it's probably George Clooney. Um, but George Clooney is kind of my Batman, or at least he was growing up, because I loved Batman and Robin as a kid. And I, I love Batman Forever, too, to a certain extent, but Batman and Robin was the one that that I really loved. I actually had a Batman and Robin poster on my wall as a child. Um, <laughs> and I used to uh, stare at Arnold Schwarzenegger's name at the top and try to memorize his last name because Arnold Schwarzenegger was my favorite actor as a kid. Um, he is probably largely responsible for, uh, for my love of cinema in general. Um, I love yeah, I, everything that's the- happening right now. <laughs> it's, it's so great, right? And the Schumacher Batman movies are really like, these were my Batman movies. Like I didn't really grow up with the Tim Burton movies in the same way. I'd see, I would watch Batman returns as a kid, but when I was a kid, it 
like the penguin truly disturbed me, especially his like weird flipper hands. Uh-huh. So it was one that I would watch every now and then, but it wasn't one that I was like clamoring to get back to over and over again. Um, and then I never actually watched the uh, first Burton movie until I was an adult. I mean, until maybe like seven or eight years ago. I don't know how I missed that one. But uh, anywho, I uh, I used to watch these movies all the time. I remember getting Batman and Robin for Christmas and wearing out the uh, VHS tape. Um, and then I think as I got older and then um, like the Christopher Nolan movies came out, it was kind of an eye opener for me. And it was like, oh, this is what a Batman movie is supposed to be. <laughs> so like there was a good period there where I kind of rejected the Schumacher movies, even though like I still kind of there was a, a small part of me that was like, I love these movies, but I'm embarrassed to say how much I love them. So I'm going to just be one of those like Batman snobs and. And be like, oh no, the Christopher Nolan movies. Like that's Batman has to be taken seriously. You know, and clearly you joined this guy a podcast. who dresses up in, you know, uh... <laughs> and then yeah. you joined a podcast where we unabashedly love sometimes terrible movies. And your first episode was Super Mario Bros. So uh, you are in good company sure, sure, to, yeah. to love. Well, I think really movies. What's funny is I think that me finally getting back around to the Tim Burton movies, I got like a, a DVD four pack of uh, the two Burton movies and the two Schumacher movies because I wanted to watch the Burton movies again. And I ended up rewatching the Schumacher movies too. And I was like, damn, I legitimately probably a lot of nostalgia in this, but I legitimately enjoy almost every moment of those movies. Again, especially Batman and Robin where I feel like Schumacher really leaned into the campier side of things. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I have a special place in my heart for these movies and it, it really legitimately upsets me that people consider them to be some of the worst movies ever made because I think that is absurd. So how did all of that shape your expectation going into rewatching these, uh, about a month ago? (laughs) Yes. There was a small part of me that was really nervous that I would rewatch them now and be like, oh shit, these movies actually are really horrible and I don't understand why I ever <laughs> enjoyed them in the first place. Um, but I was still like, I was like, I think that I think this is going to be a good time. And I actually, I watched, uh, I started watching Batman Forever at like midnight one night after everyone had gone to bed. And I was like, I'm just going to start it um, and, you know, I'll finish it later. And I ended up staying up all the way through it because I was just so sucked into it and just fascinated by the movie. And then um, I watched Batman and Robin with my boys and that especially confirmed my love for that movie because from their their perspective it was like this movie is awesome it's uh and i'm getting jumping ahead of myself a little bit there but yeah just watching it with them and seeing their reaction to it truly like cemented it as as a i hate to use the word guilty pleasure because i don't think it's a guilty pleasure like there's some good stuff in this movie but uh but yeah happy to report that that I enjoyed them just as much as I always have. <laughs> well, good. Uh, and kind of in line <laughs> with the uh, blind spots episodes that we did in terms of people shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed to say that they've never seen iconic movies. Cause man, there are still a ton of iconic movies that I have not seen. Um, I, I think that is pretty safe to say that here at video monsters, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. If you enjoy watching a certain movie, regardless of what other people think of it, then it's not guilty. It is just a pleasure. Watching Batman and Robin is a pleasure. That's, uh, yeah, I I think that 
people need to stop caring so much about what other people think of what they like and just enjoy what they like. So, uh, first off, George Clooney is not the Roger Moore of Batman movies. He is very <laughs> obviously the George Lassenby of Batman movies. And Val Kilmer is the Timothy Dalton of Batman movies. And um, uh, Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. M- Michael Keaton is the... Um, is the Sean Connery, dear Lord, I, like, be my, my brain broke for, for sure. a second. And, and then like, if we have to, then I guess that, um, I guess Christian Bale would be the Roger Moore just cause he's been in the most of them. No, no. Christian Bale's Daniel Craig. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That, yeah. Christian Craig. Bale we is can Daniel give, Craig. We can give Ben Affleck Roger Moore. <laughs> Even though to works. be honest with you, I I kind of like Ben Affleck in Batman versus Superman. Like he's one of the better parts of that movie, but based on the way he kind of phoned it in, in a uh, justice league, he, he can be Roger Moore. <laughs> I am good with that comparison. Uh, so, so my prior information is unlike Eric, I watched Batman in theaters and I absolutely adored it. Like I, I don't remember if I actually knew much about Batman before then, you know, I was, I was a kid. So obviously I knew some, but I never really had a lot of comics growing up. Uh, the Batman cartoon wasn't out. And so like there was this knowledge of Batman just in the zeitgeist of, of my childhood. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't really knew if I had like that much prior information about Batman prior to seeing Burton's Batman in theaters. But when I saw it like that, was batman somehow i just knew like yes this is what batman should have been and should always be like it just felt so right because because it was dark but there was humor and and it was you know a a solid movie and it had a lot of style and just i loved batman oh my god i loved it and then batman returns and as an adult it is without a doubt the best of the batman movies as a kid, I still loved it, and and I yes. really loved it, but I, I don't remember how I felt about it at the time, because I was so, so infatuated with Batman that Batman Returns, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it felt the same or if it was, I don't, I don't know. I, I remember that I loved it, and going back and rewatching them, oh my god, I love Batman Returns. It is an amazing film. And then Batman Forever came out. It's definitely not a kid's kind of the issue. <laughs> well, it's not really a kid's movie. And and I can't remember if I thought that it was too dark at the time or if I just loved dark stuff and so I loved it. Um, I remember feeling more sad at the time, which, I mean, yeah, you're supposed to. But so a little bit of context. Uh, you remember how you said that you especially didn't like the penguin's little flipper hands? Well, there was a story back when I was growing up in Florida yeah. of some dude like with deformed crab hands murdering his parents. Not related to Batman at all. Like oh. that is just a thing that actually happened. And so seeing the penguin, it's just like, oh, that's just like and I forgot the dude's name, but like it felt it felt a little bit more real because there was a real story with uh with some similar with some similarities. Um, anywho, I, I love the first two Batman movies. They were amazing. They were perfect. They were what Batman should have been. And then Batman forever came out. And at the time I 
liked it, but I also thought that it was trash. And right, like there yeah. was something, some like I mean, like it's not, it's not the, it's why did they? And like there was just a <laughs> lot of frustration, but I didn't hate it. And then Batman and Robin came out, and I was just like, that's it, I'm done. Like these are the worst Batman movies ever. Is <laughs> terrible, and it made sense why there wasn't another Batman movie between Batman and Robin and the Christopher Nolan reboot. Like I just like yeah, the Schumacher essentially killed Batman, and at the time I was very very angry at him for destroying this property that I loved. And then I got older, and then I started watching the '60s Batman. And then I watched the 60s Batman movie where sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. And <laughs> I love Adam West so much. And I love those original Batman shows and the uh, the original Batman movie. They are just so much fun and so campy and so silly. And then I rewatched the Schumacher Batman movies. And I'm like, oh, right. He had a love for the 60s campy style Batman. And... Mm-hmm. You, you just cannot watch them as a continuation of Burton's Batman. You have to watch them as a reboot and then they are fun. And so rewatching it this time, I, I went in with exactly that mindset of, all right, these are reboots. These are not continuations. And I liked Batman forever. We're going to get into some of the issues of the fact that it was horribly mismarketed. Um, but man, yeah, yeah. I, I love Batman and Robin. Like seriously, yes. rewatching them with the mindset of reboot, with the mindset of Schumacher loved the original sixties Adam West Batman. They're so much fun. They are silly and they are they dumb are. They and really there are, are some terrible it's, things about them. But oh my god, I love them. It's, it's that's the thing, man. It's just like these are movies that it's very clearly intentional that he's trying to make it camp. And that's why I think Batman Forever is the one that I like the least because it feels like it's trying too hard to split the difference between the Burton movies and Schumacher's more campy sensibility. And part of that is is kind of Tim Burton's fault because uh, I feel like I was reading somewhere that was basically talking about how like McDonald said that if Tim Burton makes another Batman movie that they're not going to to do any kind of advertising or whatever for it. Because remember when the Burton movies came out, like they had those awesome glass cups that you could get. I, I have some I, of those. those. I think they had those for the Schumacher movies too, actually, is what I remember. Mm-hmm. I had a written, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. But, uh, yeah, but no, like, they, yeah, they had them for the Schumacher right. ones because I've got, I, I have some that That's I picked right. up from, um, from, a, from a thrift store. Sadly, I do not have the same ones I had as a kid. But you have, uh, there was Batman and then the Riddler, where like the question mark of the cane was the yeah, um, it was the handle. Yeah, it was the handle. Yeah, and then Two Face, where the coin flipping was the handle. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so awesome. they, there was a lot of marketing that went into That's right. um, into whatever that is. It's 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 interesting though because it's like Batman Returns was such a dark movie, and it was marketed for kids that it was kind of a failure both commercially and, and and well really just commercially i think it still got decent reviews um just because of you know tim burton throwing his entire id at the screen and it just being like this beautiful art deco gothic expressionistic kind of thing um but yeah i don't know it's so fascinating to to kind of trace the history of how batman returns being so dark is the reason why joel schumacher's movies were so campy because Joel Schumacher really wanted to do a darker Batman movie, um, but the studio kind of forced him to make it 
lighter. And so in his mind, he was like, okay, I'm just going to harken back to the, uh, the 66 TV show and make it campy fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just really fascinating. And then he finally gets to basically with Batman and Robin, it was like, we're just making this movie to sell toys. And Joel Schumacher is like, okay, f*** it. I'm making a Saturday morning cartoon. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. And we've already started dipping our toes into the technical. So let's go full yes. on into that and um, building it right from where you left off. Uh, I was watching at after I finished watching Batman and Robin, I started watching it again with commentary. Unfortunately, I did not have a chance to finish it. But one of the first things that Schumacher talks about is uh, essentially the um, oh, I forget the word that he said, but essentially the commercialization of the toyetic. Movie. Yes, the toyetic uh, and being able to um, designing the movie with a toy product line in mind which is why within the first five minutes you see like just just all of this different stuff and it's like okay here's a new car and here's a new bat suit and here's this and here's this Mm -hmm. like it was all about how many toys can they make off of this and so there there was definitely a very heavy um uh, studio involvement in terms of there needs to be more more toyetic there needs to be uh toyetic being a mix between toy and aesthetic um so yeah there there was definitely a lot of that guiding the film and i think that it probably suffered a little bit from it just because i feel like it watered down um how fun like how much more fun the movie could have been if it had been just pure schumacher just having a blast doing a modern retro batman sure yeah um, but, but yeah, um, so, so what are what are some of your thoughts about the technical components of both the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin? And I, I probably should well, say just really quick, like many of the movies that sure. we do, I have a feeling that we're going to bounce around a little bit between the technical and the emotional. Uh, it, just because most of the things where I'm like, man, this thing was dumb, but fun it's going to be hard to not just go ahead and talk about both of those at the same time. So there is going to be some overlap. Yeah. We'll try to delineate it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, don't, don't be surprised if there's overlap between these two. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that the one thing that is probably undeniably, or at least most um, widely accepted as being good in these movies is like the set design. Um, and to a certain extent, the cinematography. I mean, we didn't really talk about this uh, last episode on Lost Boys, but Joel Schumacher start as uh, a costume designer and a set designer. And man, like j- right from the get go, like these sets are just so big and incredible. And like it's it's got this incredible kind of Art Deco look. And I love that like he kind of pulls that a little bit from the uh, Burton movies, but he also adds in a lot of like great splashes of color. Um, the uh, the cinematography in this movie and ah oh, crap I can't remember the cinematographer's name right off the top of my head um, but I love like the way that they use those kind of splashes of primary like reds and blues and uh, especially in Batman and Robin where they kind of use mix those colors together to with one representing Robin and one representing Batman like I don't know I think it's a gorgeous movie that is sometimes a little too dark like why the hell do they never the lights are always <laughs> turned off in Wayne Man. Every, every time they're in a room, all of the lights are off. Like, what the hell? Like, how do they even get through that house? It's well, so absurd. Can, can you um, imagine how high their electric bill would be if they had the lights on all the time? I mean, <laughs> right. come on. He lives in a castle. 
Uh, yeah, th- that I forget if I made this joke during the end of our Lost Boys episode or if I just um, made this joke to you as as we were doing some of our prep work for it. But Batman, the two Schumacher Batman movies are like someone completely forgot to turn on the lights, except for all of the fluorescent lights, which at times, yeah. are, oh, man, I love. But at other times, it's just like, come on, this would be so much more fun if part of it took place during the day. Just have it be brighter but whatever <laughs> or just turn on some fucking lights my god exactly <laughs> i mean i get I, like i wonder if they're just trying to imply like he's he's trying to uh maybe it's like a uh oh what's the word um like a method acting kind of thing where bruce is like trying to get in the headspace of a bat at all times where he has to try and navigate the darkness <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know um, but yeah, I love the sets. Like they do the, there's some incredible miniature work and they have, I love like those just gigantic, like Greek esque statues. Um, and I even, as much as people hate on the bat suits, I think they're pretty cool. Like they, you mean the butt you know, suits, Schumacher, the, the butt suits. Yeah. The nipple suits, whatever. It's so crazy to me that the bat nipples are the things that people focus on so much because my God, that cod piece though. I mean, it is, it is quite a thing, quite a sight to see. All right, so, so we, we need to take a quick sidestep on this because we have to talk about the Batsuits in relation to the in-universe creation of the Batsuits. So not Schumacher's design of them, but the sure, fact sure. that in Batman and Robin, Alfred is the one who has been like designing and making these Batsuits. <laughs> Because when he says to um, uh, Alicia Silverstone that he had one made just for her, like he had already designed one because he assumed because obviously no one knows how to keep a secret. Uh, He was just like, oh, yeah, if she shows up here, she's going to know who Batman is and she's probably going to join the fight because sure, why not? Uh, But but his little bit about like, I I assume that you would. I had this made especially for you. First off, uh, it's a little weird that uncle alfred knows the exact measurements of his niece or grandniece whatever the relationship sure, is sure, yeah it is to bizarre. to be able to make a skin tight suit it's a little weird the weirder thing um very understandably so there are not nipples on batgirl's suit because somehow that would just be very inappropriate for a kid's movie somehow <laughs> even though whatever movie. right even though there would just be and, and, latex yeah. nipples but whatever and but, people are more more uh, upset by female nipples than male nipples. Right. And, you know, like the blob. It's not like whatever. there's anything bad in it, like nipples. Um, <laughs> he, here's the thing about that, though. There very clearly are no nipples on Alicia Silverstone's Batgirl outfit. Why did Alfred take the time to include the nipples on Batman and Robin's outfits? <laughs> Listen, I'm, he's I'm not, obviously much like... <laughs> Not, he's obviously very much a fan of like Greek architecture, Greek statues, because that is, you know, that's what Schumacher's uh, inspiration was. And it's so funny to me that apparently it didn't even occur to him that that would be bizarre. But I also feel like he totally knew what he was doing because the fucking movie. I'm sorry, I'm giving you so much extra work to do with my swearing. Oh, it's um, fine. I'm keeping track of all of them. With literally both movies open with shots of every single part of the bat suits anatomy and Man. just ups like quick zoom close-ups into their chest crotches their butts 
My favorite is in belts. Bat- like my favorite is in Batman and Robin, where he puts on. I think it's Batman and Robin. Maybe it's uh, Batman Forever. I honestly don't remember. But where you get a shot of Batman's butt. Well, the structure of these two movies are completely identical. <laughs> well, when when he pulls up his pants and like you get that little butt jiggle of like having to bounce himself into his skin tight pants. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so I love it. I love it. I love and, it so good. It's so and funny. you know, I no judgment whatsoever. Like I'm not making any sort of critique of uh in universe whatever Alfred's intentions or motivations for creating the certain suits were. You know, it's not like oh her 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 like not making a joke uh, about his questionable sexual orientation. That's that's not what the focus is. It's just a little weird and just like oh come on Alfred like. How are you going to put nipples on one suit and not on the other suit? Make up your mind. Either bat suits have nipples <laughs> because I, I don't know. I guess like there needs to be room to be excited when you're fighting people or they don't. So it's, it's more of like the inconsistency. Do you think that they're fashion on the outside or that they're hollow? <laughs> <laughs> In my mind, they are hollow. So that as Batman is enjoying saving Gotham, uh, you know, there's there's room to grow. He or, clearly gets or off when, on or when mean, he's, he's fighting Mr. Fetish. Freeze. It's a fetish. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just... We're going to have to get into that in the uh, emotional <laughs> side. I have thoughts about, about many things in that end. Um, I do want to mention, though, to kind of jump off the bat suits a little bit, uh, all of the other costumes in these movies, with a few exceptions, are kind of incredible. Like, I, I absolutely love the... Uh, like all of the gangs throughout Gotham City and their designs, like that one gang in Batman and Robin that's like fluorescent and they have, have like all the, uh, uh, I get like the paint that kind of lights up in a black light. Yeah, like the day glow and paint. And they've got those incredible, the day glow paint, that's exactly it. Yeah. I love just like the design of that hideout and the way that those people are, um, like, I, I don't know, just like the way that they have dressed themselves up. Like it is so just flamboyant and extravagant and i mean that's the thing that like there is not a single moment of the movie that is not to a certain extent kind of breathtaking to look at um there's they just go wild with the production design overall and i also there's a part of me that likes to think that this movie exists in the same universe as the warriors because there's so that. many streets out there that all ha- like wear identical costumes and um, I love that in both movies they have those little interludes where the sidekicks sneak out to go get into like a road rash style like race <laughs> through the street. Oh man! So two things. So fun. Thing number one: um, th- th- those scenes are pointless. <clears throat> like those scenes, they they don't like they matter sort of. And I'm going to get into why exactly they matter and why they movie this movie wouldn't be nearly as awesome without them. But they're so pointless. They they are not part of that main plot. All that it do it all that it's doing is showing a little bit of yeah that uh, sidekick rebellion, which yeah I guess is important. Um, but you know, like in the grand scheme of things, would this have been a tighter movie if they had cut those scenes? Absolutely. But here's the thing: thing number one, especially that uh, bicycle racing gang in Batman and Robin. Aside from just the overall design of them, which I love. The the equivalent of a pod racing scene in the middle of Batman and Robin, not necessary. Again, 
kind of breaks the flow of the movie. Yeah, I guess it gives you a little bit of background of Alicia Silverstone's character and why then she's able to be Batgirl without much training. Fine, whatever, I guess. It's kind of like needing to see uh, Robin as Dick Grayson doing the uh, the Flying Grayson's thing. Fine, I get it. Yeah. But first off, again, the, the design of those gangs, absolutely love them. The reason that those scenes are so important and while watching it, I was like, this is dumb. But then halfway through it, I was like, no, no, this is awesome. It builds so much world in Gotham that does not do directly relate to yeah, Batman. Exactly. And that's something that you don't that's get say. in a lot of these other Batman movies because the rest of the Batman movies are Batman. And Schumacher's movies, like, he gives you more of an understanding of what Gotham actually is. You get that that sort of seedy underbelly with these underground motorcycle gangs doing races. Again, pointless, but man, it builds out that world a ton. That's, that's the thing that the further removed I get from the Nolan movies, the less I like them to a certain extent. Because, like, in Batman Begins... Gotham has a style like it is clearly it's very stylized but going into like the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises Gotham is just Chicago like there's no real personality to the city and I think that Gotham is such is so like intrinsically linked to Batman and what he's going through and the fact that like he is to a certain extent like the person who is largely responsible for like or at least feels largely responsible because of his stature as being a part of the Wayne family and Wayne Enterprises does so much for the city or whatever. Like that's why I like that there is so much more world building in the Burton and and again to the Schumacher movies. I love that stuff. It's uh it, it's so much more enjoyable that way, I think, whenever you get those little details like that. And and like we said in the Lost Boys episode, Schumacher is just so good at those little details. Well and here's the other great thing about that world building, which can turn the conversation into a much um, a much deeper conversation about the role of Batman overall. How effective is Batman if there has been like this large increase of underground bicycle gangs who, you know, run around dressed up in in like obvious Joker paint, even though they're not part yeah, of the yeah. Joker's gang? Like, is, I'm, I'm is he actually making things this better? Like, is are, are I, the are the people in Batman and Robin supposed to be the same people who join Heath Ledger in? Um, uh, which one was that? In, in the Dark Knight, like they, they <laughs> the seem like Knight. that could be the same the same crowd of people, and yeah, for uh, sure. Again, a ton I, uh, of stuff that most people aren't going to think about because it's just oh, my motorcycle. That's fun. It's like no, there's so much more there. Right. <clears throat> okay. Yes, I, uh, when we get to the emotional side, I want to kind of discuss whether or not Batman is actually the villain of these movies um, because I think there are some pretty compelling reasons to think that he really is the villain in these movies. Um, but to kind of jump back into the technical stuff a little bit, um, I think that one of the things that people criticize the most in these movies is uh, the acting. Um, and I will agree. I think that both Val Kilmer and George Clooney are just kind of dull and boring. George Clooney is a little bit more interesting, but in a more like, meta kind of sense george clooney is just second, being george clooney pretty much yeah like he's and not just, even uh, playing batman he is doing that same little george clooney like head side waggle that he does of like oh look at me i'm an adorable little puppy dog but also one of the sexiest men exactly. alive thing that he does 
and yeah he's he's not acting schumacher was like hey george exactly. go uh go put on a bat suit and pr- pretend you're still on er just okay <laughs> uh, well and to the thing that's interesting, you know batman forever i feel like most people like batman forever the most because of the villains but rewatching these i think that the acting in for the villains in batman and robin is so much better wronger and more well suited to this story because to look at tommy lee jones and jim carrey jim carrey is just being jim carrey over the top i mean as much as i do watching him do that he's really not doing anything too different from something like ace ventura he's just a bad guy right um i mean it was mid-90s jim carrey so exactly yeah and i mean i think there's something really fun about that uh but also what the person that I think is the weakest villain in all of these, unfortunately, is Two-Face. Tommy Lee Jones, in his opening scene in Batman Forever, I think he's really good. He's like kind of like a big cackling. He's a little bit more Joker-esque, which kind of gets to my biggest issue with the with Two-Face, is that they don't really do anything with like his dual nature at all. It's just Tommy oh, Lee I'm Jones totally kind of... I'm totally going to get into that. Um, and, and also, I think that when Jim Carrey is on screen, he totally just swallows Two-Face whole. Like, Two-Face is just kind of there as a yes man, which really bugs me. And also, it's so... F- have you ever... Have you heard the story about how much Tommy Lee Jones hates Jim Carrey? <laughs> you've told me about it, but no, I've not uh, read or heard anything about it beyond what you've said. So, apparently, Tommy Lee Jones absolutely hated working with Jim Carrey. And there's this amazing story that Jim Carrey told about how he met Tommy Lee Jones in a restaurant. I can't remember if it was, like, during the production of the movie or afterward or whatever it was and Jim Carrey came up to him and was like hey how's it going and uh, Tommy Lee Jones is just basically growling at him very Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones and Jim Carrey's like why and, and he's just like I hate you and Jim Carrey's like why and Tommy Lee Jones's response and I quote is I cannot sanction your buffoonery <laughs> and see I now think that, that, that should just, have been in the movie one of the most amazing, like, it's bad stories I've ever heard. Like, that's just so funny and so on brand with who Tommy Lee Jones is. Um, and I think it's one of those situations where it was like his son or nephew or something was just a big fan. And so he's like, all right, sure, I'll be in this Batman movie. I worked with Joel on, uh, uh, what was the legal movie that he was in? Uh, the Client, I think. I don't know. He's done the Schumacher movie before. So, yeah. But yeah, I just, I... I kind of agree with Tommy Lee Jones to an extent, though, because I think that Jim Carrey is so over the top in Batman Forever, and it honestly probably would have been a little bit better in Batman and Robin, where Batman Forever tries to be have a little bit more gravitas, I think, and like try to get into the psyche of Bruce Wayne, and and you know they've got those like weird scenes where he's like in the Batcave and he's you know feeling the weight of being Batman, and then out of nowhere he won't to quit being Batman because of the story necessitates it for no reason whatsoever. Um, and I don't know, like it's just that movie feels like it's trying to little, be a little bit more brooding and Jim Carrey sticks out like a sore thumb as being way over the top and buffoonish. And um, and then, yeah, Two-Face is my all-time favorite Batman villain. So I just kind of, I don't really care for the the uh, makeup that they did for him. Um, it's not gray and tommy lee jones is a little dull i, I will say though i i love his uh hideout and like his little angel and demon and on his shoulder 
that's such a cool idea with Drew Barrymore and uh, shit, I can't think of the actress's the other actress's name, but yeah, that's just so fun. And I wish there was a lot more of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. The the biggest issue with two face and Riddler, especially with Tom Lee Jones and Jim Carrey was like, that could have been a great balance of, you know, like the meticulous and, and calculating and a little bit chaotic, honestly with two face. And then just the, just that over the top outlandish putting so much into riddles and, and being all about show like that could have been a really good balance, but the problem was Mm -hmm. there wasn't a, a balance overall. And, and where this is really highlighted because I, I do love two face. I think that he is just in like the, the Batman world overall. I think that two face is such a fascinating character because uh, just about every comic book villain has some sort of connection with the hero. And like, that's part of why they are like, that's part of why they're arch enemies is it's not just, Oh, they're trying to foil my plans. Like there's something else that that's typically going on. And so most villains, while, you know, bad, there's always that little tiny piece of origin story about them of, huh, okay, this is maybe like why the hero doesn't just kill them each time. And this is why there's always like that little hope for redemption or just whatever. But with Two-Face, like that is literally exactly what he is of he is Harvey Dent and, you know, like a a longtime friend of Bruce Wayne and uh, the, the DA trying to actually clean up Gotham, trying to do the things along with Batman like he is a good guy. And then suffers a tragic accident and now is Two-Face. And like, that's why he has his coin is because he has that duality of the, the good angel side of him and that tortured demon side. And because he doesn't know how to balance the two, because it is such a stark uh, black and white contrast, he relies on fate to make a lot of those decisions for him so that the good side of him doesn't have to um, take responsibility for what the bad side does. And like Two Face is a fascinating character, and there's some really, really great stories with him. The problem with Halloween is like I don't really read comic books that much. Really, I just read Batman books, uh, graphic novels. But the Long Halloween is my all-time favorite graphic novel, and that's like the the Two Face origin in the comics, and it's incredible. I mean, and that's like you said, it's it's really the missing ingredient in Batman Forever. Is there's no especially because you get one glimpse of that. You get some of that background information of acid was thrown on him at a trial. It's such a dumb background story, but fine, whatever. And then Batman just springs out of the, (laughs) yeah, springs out of nowhere on the team. Oh my God. I love that. There and like tries to dive. Like, was he just sitting in the, in the crowd in his bat suit waiting on something bad to happen? I I think so. And also the fact that a manila folder was all that it took to protect the other side of his face, whatever. Also, it doesn't make any sense. Delineation between both sides. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense on how just a little bit of acid on the face, like, changed entire half of his body or whatever but the the problem is you never get harvey dent in batman forever you get one glimpse of it at the very end when uh when batman and and robin are dangling 
and he's like oh what about your coin and then you get that tiny little almost like tommy lee jones is like fine i have to say this line i'm gonna say it as quick as possible just to get back into finishing this movie but that little bit of like oh thank you uh batman mm-hmm. you've always been a true friend and then he flips the coin like that's the only glimpse yeah. of harvey dent that you get of having to decide between good and bad the the rest of the time you only get two face you you don't get the harvey dent and and if there had been a little bit more of leaning into uh, the two-faced nature of Two-Face, I, I think that it would have been a lot stronger. I think that it would have been a little bit easier to stomach some of the over-the-top outlandish Jim Carrey-ness because there would have been um, there would have been that distinction between the two. But I've been grounded a little bit. I, yeah. So just, it's it's too bad too because there is like the main emotional character or the main character arc of Bruce and Batman forever is he is sort of wrestling with those two sides. Like there's one thing that's kind of fascinating and is totally fumbled is there's this like love triangle between him and Nicole Kidman and Batman. Like him, he has a love triangle with himself, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. He's not trying to quit Batman. He's just trying to bang. Nicole and there could Kidman. have been, there's so much room to like make a connection there between two face. And the, He's just trying to get laid, yeah. Even even though she is so, uh, there's some big problems there where she speaks in that whispery kind of husky voice, where she's clearly like making bedroom eyes with Adam the entire movie. Yep. Uh, it's so she's supposed to be a psychologist, and it all the psychology in that movie is so terrible, and she's literally just there because <laughs> she wants to bang Batman. Yep, and um, it's yeah, there's something that's kind of interesting about a psychologist who's interested in Batman because of the obvious issues there but again it's all fumbled because nicole kidman is completely wasted um although i do love her performance as like the uh almost as like a femme fatale kind of thing there's some noirish stuff there but ultimately she doesn't end up being a femme fatale at all anywho um but yeah there's like there's a definite duality there that i think they're trying to get at and ultimately there's no real connective tissue between those two villains like the villains like you said always are supposed to reflect a side of Batman that um, that he kind of has to rebel against in a certain way, that he has to rebel against those impulses, and the villains are those impulses manifest. And right. uh, this movie does really nothing with that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, also, the and, Riddler's and it, riddles it, are horrible it, it and super could. easy. It really could have played into that. Like, Two-Face, like you just said, could have been showing that um, that struggle that, that Bruce Wayne is having of, should I continue to be Batman and saving Gotham? Or should I be Bruce Wayne and bang Nicole Kidman? Or, wait, no, she wants Batman. I'm going to stay Batman and bang her. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up in my bat suit to bang this girl? I mean, come on. I've... It's a lot of problematic things. Dude, with this movie. that scene, <laughs> that scene where she says that she's in love with Bruce Wayne and he turns around and smiles is the creepiest shit in any of these Batman movies. That's creepier than like anything in Batman Returns too. Like his smile is so weird. Val Kilmer has weird <laughs> in general. I don't know. I love Val Kilmer. I think he is easily the worst Batman. Um, although it's kind of funny because Wayne, who created Batman, thinks that he was the best, but also. The only other Batmans he knew were, you know, uh, uh, Michael Keaton and Adam West. So, well, we'll, we'll get uh, into uh, that hopefully if we have time in in a little bit. The um, I will. Um, oh, go ahead. I, no, I was also going to say like the, the the villains really could have represented so much of what Batman was struggling with. That you just had to lean into it a little bit more. And and I think I like. 
Like, go go ahead. I have a bigger point uh, about the technical that we'll get into in a, a second. I was just saying, I think there's one little shining moment that I think is really fun where there's some connection between Batman and uh, Edward Nigma. And I like Jim Carrey when he's not the Riddler. I like him when he's Edward Nigma. Like, there's that really fun scene where they're at the party and he's just like sold his, uh, I don't even remember what it's called, his little blender hat that he uses to <laughs> suck information out of people's heads. Uh, and he's like all buttoned up and he's he has like, he put the little mole on his face. Oh, man, uh, because he's that. trying to be like Bruce Wayne. Uh, and he's like, how's my mole? Like, that's so funny and so good. Um, that, I think, is really interesting because, again, it's kind of him trying to be Bruce Wayne. Um, and, again, kind of hints at the fact that, like, because Bruce Wayne is kind of a rich asshole, he is ultimately the villain of this story. Um, I also, I do kind of like the villain plot in Batman Forever a tiny bit more. Like, there was part of me at first where I thought it was really stupid. I was like, okay, so he basically just created a 3D TV, and it's going to become this huge thing that causes riots, and he's going to use that to, like, figure out who Batman is because he's going to glean all this information from people. And I was like, that's stupid, and it looks dumb. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, if it wasn't so analog, if, if it was like, I don't know, like maybe something where people can go and create a profile. Oh, you mean like and Facebook? Create an account and share all these details with these big corporations (laughs) and then these big corporations could use it to glean information and yeah so i was like you know there's something as as kind of like goofy as it is like it looked the hat the blender hat thing looks like that thing that doc brown wears on his head (laughs) and back to the future and when you first see him um but like again if it wasn't so goofy there is something kind of smart about that like some kind of a little prescient i think um yeah i but i I forget what the context was but um i was either talking to someone or like chatting with them online recently i i don't remember the exact context but all that uh really matters is one of us brought up the uh the old saying that if a service is free the product is you so, you know, like any of the, yeah. uh, here, check your credit score for free. Do this other thing for free. Get all of these quotes <laughs> about car insurance for free because we're selling your information to all of these other companies that are then going to use your information to, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. so that absolutely kind of applies to, uh, to Batman forever <laughs> with how they're stealing all of their thoughts and information. Cause I mean, think about it, think about how gullible and easily swayed people are by basic product placement and commercials, just normal. Yeah. And then think about, <laughs> or just general political misinformation. Well, I was focusing, focusing more it's on like getting people's money, but yes, uh, <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. But on top we're of getting that, there, getting them to support certain causes yes um but like imagine imagine how much more so that would be if the only ads that you ever saw were the exact things that you wanted to see and you don't even have to think Mm -hmm. that hard about it because if you've ever been talking with a friend not online just talking to a friend and then within a couple hours, you're on Facebook and you see an ad for the exact thing that you were just talking about. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's already enough of the like when you send someone an email like that information is being uh, scoured and sent to various product placement things. And when you post about something on Facebook, you are going to start seeing for those sure, ads yeah. and 
Like there's already so much like tailored marketing that if people, it, if there was something that could get into your thoughts about something and then start saying, Oh, you were thinking about that. Here's this exact thing that you need that you don't want to say out loud because you're embarrassed. <laughs> Here's this exact thing that you said you wanted. It, yeah. It, it might seem like a stupid plot, but it is also totally reality. So there's that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess the la- the, um, the only other thing I want to say particularly about Batman forever is that, it still really upsets me that we didn't get Billy D. Williams as Two Face oh, because they were originally going to do it. They had to buy out his contract uh, because he showed up in Batman Returns as Harvey Dent and had a like pay or play thing going on. But uh, but yeah, he did get to play uh, Two Face later on in the Lego Batman movie, which was a nice little consolation prize, I guess, and a much better movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, too bad. Anyway, anyway, um, anyway, that's that's a new one. So, so here's my just overarching critique, and I've said this a few times. I know that I said this, um, at least I think that I said this at the end of our Lost Boys episode. The the biggest issue with the technical side of things, um, more so with Batman Forever than with Batman and Robin, but still there a little bit, is there was too much carryover from the Tim Burton Batman movies, and... Yeah, and it, there was a little bit too much of oh well, Batman, uh, Batman Returns was so dark that like we need to keep it dark because that one people really enjoyed, but we also have to make it a little bit lighter because the studio tells us that we have to, and and so it just never found its footing, and you get a little bit more of it towards the end of uh, or you get a little bit more of what the movie should have been towards the end of um, Batman Forever, like with Robin's holy rusted metal line which <laughs> at the time when i saw it in theaters i was like this is stupid and then rewatching it it's like oh no like that's just yet another clue that this should have been so a campy I also, movie i love that battleship thing that they do which is so weird and weirdly <laughs> specific like they just already had a battleship thing set up because just in case they have their hideout infiltrated yeah, of course they would. I, I love all the you? like the, all of the ways that all the villains and Batman and Robin are prepared for every eventuality. Like <laughs> I have ice skates in my boots just in case we happen to go have to fight somebody who creates ice everywhere. Of uh, course and all that. you like, would, because so... in the '60s Batman, when you need your bat, shark, shark spray, repellent. exactly. <laughs> like, of course you're going to carry uh, your shark repellent because you know that you're going to be over water and fighting a shark. So, of course, it makes sense. And then the shark explodes. I God, I love original '60s era Batman. It. So it uh, that oh, makes sense. Yeah. The the ice skates in Batman and Robin make sense because, of course, they do because it's campy and dumb. And and I think that that's why Batman and Robin is a little bit more fun um, is because Schumacher just had more fun with it. There is less of a uh, Tim Burton thumbprint on Batman and Robin Batman forever. There's still just that little bit of trying to blend those two mm. worlds. And, and that was the biggest mistake. They, they should have just given Schumacher free reign, taken Burton off of the project entirely, unless they just wanted some of his money to then let him make money, but he shouldn't have had any sort of say in, in what the movie looked like. And yeah, he got a producer credit, but I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, I have any idea how much actual creative input he had. I mean, he was like, before they gave it over Schumacher, he was already in production on a movie that was going to be called Batman continues, which is terrible, but uh, a terrible name. 
But he's gonna have like Damon Wayans as Robin. So yeah, I, I wonder how much he uh, actually, how much input he actually had. But it's clear that they are still really trying to be part of the Burton verse in some way, and it, yeah, it's technically and- like still marketed as part of the same series and yeah and, and that is the biggest mistake like you cannot watch these actors. as a continuation but I'll, I'll get to that in just a second as we get over to the uh, emotional side um other things about the technical uh the cgi does not hold up i mean it's mid 90s cgi it looks oh, terrible so bad. <laughs> it looks so terrible it almost oh, adds man. character though you know, like in the same way that much older movies that had to rely on miniatures and stop motion and like everything was real. So it felt more real. There's something about terrible mid 90s CGI that because it's a product of that time, like it, it almost takes you back to that time of just like, oh, how quaint as opposed to like current stuff that still has terrible CGI where it's just like that. There's no excuse for that now. Something about watching a yeah. old bad CGI. I I don't know. I I kind of like, especially like when that was the highlight of <laughs> of um of what's the word I'm looking for of special effects at the time. Sure. Um, yeah. Let's see. The oh man. The, Can uh, we talk about the writing? The, the, the writing. Oh, the the writing. Let's hold, writing. hold on one second. Yes, let me let me work through okay. some of these uh, just quick little snippets because I don't think any of these really need a lot of conversation. The um, the entire circus scene where we get introduced to Dick Grayson, just, just Robin entirely is weird. Uh, the the circus <laughs> scene. There is a ton of you can definitely see a lot of Tim Burton style in that overall circus scene. Like it feels like, um, like the Joker showing up to do what he did at the end of Batman. Uh, the age of Robin always bothered me. Like, I I don't know how old he's supposed to be and kind of weird. He's supposed to be like 18 ish, like just out of high school. Maybe I don't, I don't know. It is, it is a little unclear. Yeah, it, uh, especially because like uh, Bruce Wayne like agrees to take him as the, like to watch over him to keep him from going into a foster home, I guess. But if he's eighteen, why would he need any sort of guidance? I it's I know it's super weird. <laughs> it's also, I love the, the way that he convinces him to stay is with motorcycles and uh uh, pre- uh not pre- um. Shit! What is that? There's some onion rings. Onion rings. I mean, yeah, motorcycles uh, and onion rings keep you around. Uh, oh, also, one one quick aside for that circus scene. Um, I've made a note that uh, at the end, Robin proves that some days you can get rid of a bomb. <laughs> and God, if he had if he had included that line to like even more tie into that '60s Batman, yeah, that would have been so much fun. Uh, the the scene with Robin doing laundry is fucking stupid. <laughs> so so weird. It's it, so weird. It's like, let it's me that. use my ninja skills to wring out my clothes. That'll show you. It's like that is the scene that they use to prove that he can fight. <laughs> like that is the fun. Like Alfred is it Alfred? I think that's just watching. He's like, oh, maybe we have some potential here. I don't like, know. Their laundry like that it is so. Like I want to know who came up with that idea. I don't know if it was like Akiva Goldsman who wrote the script or if it was Schumacher or what it was, but it's just so goofy. 
man um, i i want to start doing my laundry like that uh and and then last little bit of the technical of um batman forever and then as you're saying things i'll look over my batman and robin notes you know what no there's there is one thing in my batman two things two things in my batman and robin notes that i want to mention um i love the fact because it is so dumb and it is so just like oh come on the fact that when anyone walks into the bat cave and it's intruder alert intruder alert intruder alert as it powers everything (laughs) up and raises up the batmobile it's like you're not supposed to be here let me give you the keys to what you're not supposed to look at intruder alert you're not supposed to be here let (laughs) me power everything up that's exactly how the villains are able to destroy everything exactly in in batman forever and then it still happens again when batgirl finds the cave in this in batman and robin it's like you guys did not learn from the first yeah like the, the riddler walks <laughs> in and it's intruder alert intruder alert beep, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> what can i do for you it's just god it's dumb uh, uh, all right so, so batman, and, batman and robin because uh d- again a lot of this carries over it is silly and dumb and so much more fun and given the choice between the two i'm gonna pick batman and robin <laughs> over batman forever in just about every area uh, because it, yes. it basically is just watching a live live action cartoon and and not like the uh, not like that mid 90s, like dark Batman cartoon, but like watching. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more cartoonish than the actual animated series about Batman, which is so funny. <laughs> well, and, and here uh, is part of like <laughs> a, a perfect example of how cartoonish it is. And you pointed this out to me when you were watching it. So when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, that's one of the best things ever in the history of anything. The fact that Bane is wearing a hat and trench coat <laughs> to like hide the fact that he is Bane. <laughs> but it's not hiding it. anything. I love it. Batman and Robin is more cartoonish than the um, Dick Tracy movie. And uh, you know, I've never seen Dick Tracy. I need to see that one, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. It is. Uh, it's actually a darker movie than Batman and Robin it, as silly and cartoonish as it is. Uh, um, Man. All right, I, and, and I, this th- is where I think that to. Oh, sorry. Oh no, Go just ahead. just a couple more quick little things that again don't really have much to say. So, uh, there is a ton of very problematic stuff during that rainforest gala, which, who man, it, it no, might not that's have the felt best in any of these movies. It might not have felt so bad at the time, but like especially in 2020, <laughs> it's just like oh, a bunch of rich white people raising money. That's you know good that they're raising money for the rainforest but how are they doing that <sighs> by essentially not only auctioning women but like the like african tribal dancers and it just felt so just like black flake blackface exploitation style stuff ooh, and yeah. ooh, it felt wrong and yeah that it just felt wrong um i and, um, and i love just all of the neon 80s punk just everywhere in in batman and robin i know that it's late 90s at that point but man it feels like late 80s and it's ooh, it's beautiful i love it okay those are all of my snippets of technical because everything else is uh primarily emotional for me um yeah i was just gonna say like to get into batman robin a little bit my my favorite um oh my god first of all to as a counterpoint to the my my issues with the acting in batman forever I think that Uma Thurman 
is gives the absolute best performance in any of these movies. She is so incredible as Poison Ivy. She's easily the best character in any of the Schumacher movies. I love it. I love that she has an actual noble cause. Like she's really just trying to save plant life and save the earth. Um, she is the one of the only people who I think truly understands the tone of these movies and just nails it perfectly. Her intro in that uh, auction scene is. I love like the music that's playing, the fact that she's like literally walking across the bodies of these like lubed up men to get up onto the stage. The way that she uses her like uh, her scent to like seduce men, it, it's just so incredible. <laughs> her magic toxic so, kisses. Her magic toxic kisses, like her outfit, just like she also gets all of the best lines in these movies, like. Um, there's uh, oh, she is also like incredibly horny, or I guess I should say <clears throat> thorny. Thorny. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to speak to the problematic things, there's that one part that I think there's one part that is really weird where uh, I absolutely hate the one thing the thing I hate the most about Batman and Robin is like the subplot where Bruce and uh, Dick are fighting over. Poison Ivy and Dick's all like, you're just jealous because she likes me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's kind of funny at first, but it <laughs> could be in a dick, Dick. Yeah. It's just so annoying, but there's like a thing where they're like, yeah, we don't need to fall for her anymore. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. When the little, uh, pheromone thing wears off and they're like, yeah, she had a nice, uh, nice buds though, or whatever. What is it? That they <laughs> it's so something along those lines where it's just uh, like, I all right, literally we're going to team back somewhere. up, but also let's objectify this woman. Um, yeah. Th- all right, so let's just, let's just take a second and talk about Robin because I, I think that, um, oh crap. What's, what's dude's nice name that- dims. That's what it is. Nice dims. Yeah. Good buds too. Or something like that. And it's like, uh, that's so gross. Um, so there's a reason why Poison Ivy gets the line that says men, the most absurd of God's creatures. And it's like, yep. <laughs> the, Uma the Thurman does do a great job of playing a cartoon villain. Um, so good. Yeah. It- also, I have to mention too, just really quick when during that, uh, that her intro scene, um, I watched the movie with the boys and, um, we we watched that scene and then something happened and we ended up having to like stop the movie for a little bit and then we ended up picking it back up the next day and I rewound it because I missed part of something before that and I was like oh, okay we can skip ahead of this and they're like no 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 that's okay we'll watch this scene again so they were clearly <laughs> under her spell in that in that scene like they're like yeah this is okay my six and and uh, nine year old I mean oh so so, so funny so here's one of the problems with robin in these two movies robin's arc should have been played out over a trilogy it makes sense in batman forever and you know what i'm, I'm gonna hold on to this because I, well now i guess this well, is still there was, technical I will mention, emotional there was a plan to do a robin spinoff movie like they were going to do that until batman and robin bombed so hard that it just completely killed the entire franchise well, the thing about it is, like, in uh, in Batman Forever, it makes sense that his parents are dead, and so he's angry, and he's impulsive, and, you know, like, his, his character in Batman Forever makes sense. And then you get, you know, a little bit of them, you know, you don't even get them fighting together. Like, you instantly go into um, 
them chasing freeze and Batman having to disable Robin's motorcycle. Cause like, no, you can't do it. You're still too impulsive. And yeah. so like it instantly goes into the daddy Wayne. Yeah. And, and we're like not trusting each other and all this other stuff. And like, I almost feel like that would have made more sense on a third movie. You know, it, it's almost like they should have been uh, angry and impulsive in the first one. And then the second movie is showing them actually like getting closer together and forming that trust and forming that bond. And so like then when you have poison Ivy trying to split them apart, then there's more of that drama of, but, but wait, they were doing so well. Ah, why is he getting, uh, why is he getting jealous now? Why is he saying, why won't you let me branch out on my own now? Like that would make more sense. It's almost like his story arc for, got some of the middle part where it shows them actually working together it's a minor quibble but i don't know it's still it still just kind of bugs me that in batman and robin robin is still as much of a dick pun intended uh as as he was (laughs) in batman forever and I, I wish that there had been a little bit more with that, especially since you're going to add in Batgirl. Like you're adding in yet another level of I now I have to be Daddy Bat to watch over two people that don't have any yeah. history of crime fighting. Like they, there should have been a little bit more, but whatever. That's trying to make this a darker, more meaningful movie rather than a cartoon. So no, I totally agree with you. Uh, anywho. I do totally agree with you. And it's it's kind of funny because it feels like it's just a symptom of the fact that that it literally feels like these movies have the exact same plot. Like, yeah, if you break it down to just a structural level, the exact same thing happened in the exact same order where it's like and I even made notes of like all the different parallels to it. It's like you have one villain who is introduced in the opening scene where you then get his backstory via video and then you have the sidekick who shows up who stumbled upon the bat cave and blah 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 and like it, well, it is and the that side villain has well and the, the uh, side villain uh the riddler and the poison ivy has the origin story where they kill their boss well and they are both like initially yeah. not entirely ill-meaning which we'll get to that uh when we switch over to the emotional to talk about yeah. whether or not batman was the villain but like, like find a hideout. Yeah, like Edward Nigma, he started out with just wanting to share his ideas with this person that he idolizes, and he's utterly rejected, and so he turns into a villain. And Poison Ivy is just trying to save the world, and then is utterly rejected by the exact same Bruce Wayne, and so then she turns into a villain. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you have um, the the new addition, Batgirl, um, sticking around because of motorcycles. Like they really are the exact same story. So much so that and sneaking I, I, out to go street race. Yeah. To fight the exact same game gang rather. Um, like they are so much of the same story that I honestly question if Batman and Robin was Schumacher's attempt to reboot his own movie in more of a Schumacher verse rather than trying to continue on the uh, Burton verse. Like I, I like, I wonder if that's why uh, they got a different Batman. Like if they tried to distance himself from himself a little bit to be like, okay, yeah, Batman forever had some issues. This is my Batman movie. And I don't know. Yeah, I think that there was there wasn't a desire there, and also I think he said that Val Kilmer was hard to work with. He was going through a bunch of stuff, and then he ended up having scheduling conflicts with the Saint, so they just got George Clooney instead because he was you know hot off ER or whatever. Right. Um. But yeah, no, I'm I'm 
totally with you. It really does feel like... And what I was reading, too, was that like when they were making Batman and Robin, basically every single time they were about to shoot a scene, Joel Schumacher would yell through his bullhorn, remember, this is a cartoon. Like <laughs> He was just like, all in, we're making this a cartoon, it is going to be ridiculous. And there's something that I think is like just super admirable about that, where he's just like, this is what the studio wants, and I'm going to absolutely fucking give it to you in the most over-the-top way possible. Like, it almost feels like a huge middle finger to like, okay, this is what you asked for. This is what I'm going to give you, fuckers. Like, it's so, it's just kind of punk rock to a certain extent, I feel like. But I think that he was also having uh, so much fun with that of just like, all right, fine, yeah, this is like, what you want. Eh, good, because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so great. But um, I also uh, wanted to mention, too, that uh, the I think the uh, the frozen elephant in the room. Sorry, that was a terrible. That was not a good pun, um, but probably better than some of the puns in this movie is we haven't talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yet. I'm, I'm going to have to take you to and task on that one. Get it. Dude, elephant. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Tusk elephant, the, well, there was a literal elephant in that room. And and Tuscan Task, yeah, and then you get Batman sliding down the the tusk of the uh, the woolly mammoth in that museum. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, that works. You made it. You made it better. Thank you, sir. That's um, what I'm here for. Almost every single line that Mister Freeze in this movie says, for better or worse, is a pun. And in some cases, it's not even a pun that, that makes a damn bit of sense. But they're just like, again, screw it. We're going to make him say something about being cold or frozen or whatever in every single scene. To the point where, like, there's one of I think one of my other favorite lines, or maybe at least my favorite Mr. Freeze line, is toward the beginning where he's like, "There's only one absolute in the universe. Everything freezes." And it's like, "What? That is not true in any way. What are you talking about?" I, I mean, at like, a certain point, everything so... does freeze. That's he's not wrong. And that's the only absolute in the universe. The only absolute. I, I you could probably find a lot of exceptions, just, but yeah. At some it's point, so everything does freeze. His lines, it's so dumb, but I love it. His lines are so dumb that even me, who I I have been making dad jokes ever since I was a kid, like to the point where uh, when I actually became a dad, like I went all Super Saiyan with my dad puns. Even I was groaning at some of these, like the ice to meet you, just like oh, so dumb. <laughs> And okay, also incredibly uh, dumb. It's so, it's God, it's so annoying. But at the same time, like at the time, I hated it. At the time, this was one of the things that I just loathed about Batman and Robin to the point where, you know, little however old I was uh, at that point, 14, little 14 year old me was just like, they ruined Batman. Ugh. Rewatching yeah. it now, it's just like, God, this is fun. To the point where so I don't even want to say so many. There are a noticeable number of lines in the actual movie that were just added so that they could be used in commercials without having to change the line. Like when oh, Alfred absolutely. says something about like, Aren't you gonna eat before you leave? And Batman says, I'll get drive through. Boom, there's your McDonald's oh commercial or Burger King, whichever exactly. one it was. That's literally the opening line of Batman Forever. It's like at at that point, everyone in the audience should have realized, uh, oh, this is a campy movie. <laughs> this like, is a two and a half so hour commercial is what this is. Every bit of it. Yeah, every bit of it is uh, is designed to be over the top and goofy. I, like, I feel like there are a lot of people who really, 
I don't know if they realized that it was supposed to be campy. And maybe I'm wrong. I, I was a little young when these movies came out, so I don't know what the the general consensus was at the time. But I feel like there are a lot of people who, I mean, it's probably just more that they're like, oh, Burton finally gave us a serious Batman and we're already coming back around to Batman is goofy again. I think that's probably more what it is. But well, let's still. let's go ahead and dive into the emotional because um, or emotional slash analysis because that's one of my biggest questions about these movies is who are these movies for? Like who was the intended audience when these movies were made? Because people who loved Batman Returns with as dark as it got. These movies are not for that person, because if you wanted super dark Batman, you don't want day glow uh, motorcycle races. And I think if, it's a movie for toy companies. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but but like but yeah. even with that, if it's for kids, then why is Poison Ivy so hypersexualized? And like, yeah, sure, fine. Prepubescent boys are the ones who buy a lot of toys and also the ones who like Poison Ivy's buds. But like it's it's still just like if this movie is meant for kids, then it gets kind of dark for kids. Uh, like I was watching it and well, yeah, no, okay, maybe not dark. There are some scenes. Well, that there's a reason I was, why I started with Batman and Robin with my for my kids instead of Batman Forever because Batman Forever is a bit darker. Yeah, because um, you, you do Batman have like that bat flying in his brain, and I just I, I'm not entirely sure who the audience is supposed to be. And and I think that that's part of what makes this movie so great, or these movies, uh, I don't want to say great, part of what makes these movies so much fun is they are at times kind of a mess, but it's mm. a fun mess because, yeah, like, again, if they're meant for someone who grew up on the 60s era Batman, then they're too modern. And someone who likes Adam West with all of the, like, well, Commissioner, blah, 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 blah. They don't want to see a bunch of day globe motorcycle gangs. And and so it's just such an awkward mix of trying to make a movie for everyone, which results in making a movie for, for no us. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say for us. And even when I was a kid, man, I just loved it. Like, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where as a kid, you kind of have selective attention where it's like, I'm here for the fight scenes that are super floaty and physically impossible and, and very video gamey. Um, and you know, then whenever you get the subplot about Alfred dying, it's like, I mentally check out and go play with my Batman toys for a few minutes. And it gives you a nice minute. And that entire subplot of Alfred is dying of the exact same disease that Mr. Freeze's wife died of. And yeah. And Alicia Silverstone is here because he's dying and she's trying to save him, but she's trying to save him by being a rebel, but she's being a rebel because she grew up in a stodgy house, but she grew up in a stodgy house because of money. (laughs) And she's trying to free the slave of Alfred, but Alfred is family. But when was the last time you treated him like family and just think about this too, though, Alfred, comes from a literal family of butlers like he has there are like actual like people in his family there are pennyworths all over the world serving as butlers like what kind of weird like shadow system of butlers does he have going on like it's so bizarre like i almost feel like he and his uh family of butlers like control the world in some way because they've got eyes on every single rich asshole in the world it's so so I I have I have a theory awesome. that I'm coming up with as we speak. So this has not been fleshed out, but I have a theory. Who is another character 
with the same first six letters as Pennyworth. Uh, Pennywise? Yep. So maybe that family of Pennyworths uh, is like Pennywise's cousin, and they're not a family (laughs) of butlers. They are the same eternal being, which is why Alfred looks basically the exact same age in all of the uh, uh, Batman (laughs) movies. They are the same eternal being with like a slight bent towards actually saving the world rather than destroying it like Pennywise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But there's still that cosmic just weirdness, which is why um, which is why Batman is Batman like the bat in Batman forever just kind of floating there that giant almost more like man bat than uh, actual bat uh-huh. that was Alfred yeah. taking his bat form to scare <laughs> Bruce to become <laughs> Batman to save the world Oh man that sounds pretty awesome I, right? I, I genuinely love this idea um, it also explains why Alfred is not only a butler but also like a genius computer programmer and um and why also he's so a dumbledore with just knowing everything that's about to happen it's funny too because he's also kind of like the lucius fox of this series too because he's it's implied that he's also the one who creates all the gadgets and i assume he made the car or whatever too i mean i guess it could be from wayne enterprises but wayne enterprises is like never really mentioned to, to, to an extent in these movies, at least not in terms of like, that's where he gets his gadgets. Right. Um, you know, he doesn't have, Alfred is like Q and, uh, and you know, his butler at the same time, his father figure. Uh, I don't know. It's so fascinating. Um, but yeah, yeah all I'm, of the, the subplot. I'm, with I'm going with Penny, is, is, Pennyworth is Pennywise or Pennywise's cousin. <laughs> that's not I, I head dig it. I dig it for sure. Um, I do hate, though, whenever these movies get serious. Like, they try to wring some genuine emotion out of the Alfred subplot, and it almost gets there just because of how much I love Michael Goff as Alfred. But it's like, that's the few moments in the movie where you're kind of checking your watch. Like, okay, let's get back to um, the zaniness. Well, and, and here's part of the problem with it. And in case we haven't said this enough throughout this episode, we genuinely do really enjoy these movies. So all of our critiques of them are just like, I mean, come on, how can we not talk about this? But also overall so much fun. We love them. Here's one of the problems with the serious Alfred dying subplot. And this will, um, this will branch into whether or not Batman is the villain. It highlights the fact that the only reason that Batman gives any sort of chance of redemption for Mr. Freeze is not because he actually gives two shits about Mr. Freeze's frozen wife, but because he wants to save Alfred. If, exactly. Yeah. If Alfred didn't have the exact same disease, I don't think that, that Batman would have cared. I, I think no, he would have just, uh, just let her freeze. And I, I totally agree. Yeah. Can we also, I want to talk about the fact that when poison Ivy approaches him, that's like, Hey, um, you're over here here in the rainforest drilling and destroying our planet um why don't you stop and his response is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing i've ever heard in my entire life and i have it here so i can quote it it is okay so if we stop you know drilling or whatever we'll have no diesel for heat and no coolant to preserve food millions would die from cold and hunger alone what the fuck are you talking about are you kidding me I, like and he's like we put people first is what he says and it's like that is the most 
absurd and dismissive response to like a sincere question I've ever heard. And let's ignore the fact that Poison Ivy responds with those are acceptable losses because uh, <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> anything to say. But she's, she's a bad guy. Yeah, she's problematic with her response to him. But um, yeah, it kind of shows a complete lack of awareness on Bruce Wayne's part. Like he's supposed to be this yeah. genius. Doesn't he understand that destroying the rainforest will literally destroy the world? Like I just, it, right. Ooh, yeah, I, it's, I it's understand. So tone deaf and bizarre, and well, just like I, I understand making room for progress, yeah. and I understand. <laughs> yeah, sometimes there does have to be a little bit of machines if you want to be able to blah 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 blah. But um, no, destroying the rainforest is. Come on, Bruce. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not even saying this as a criticism of the film because it's one of the things I love about this movie. Um, there's also the scene at the end where he's like trying to stop the freeze ray from taking over Gotham, and those scientists are hanging from the side of it. And instead of like trying to save them, he's just like, "Hold on," and starts moving the <laughs> ground while they're just hanging on for dear life for a very long time. Like they could have easily slipped and fallen, and then he literally leaves them on the on the side of a mountain. Like it is so he is such a like narcissist who seems to have no empathy for other people whatsoever. Uh, and then there's also like at the end, he tells Mr. Freeze like, like, oh, vengeance is a terrible thing. And then also I'm going to put you into the same cell as Poison Ivy so you can take out your vengeance on her for <laughs> trying to kill your wife. Like it is so, it is so insane. Um, yep. Like I feel like it, deliberately try to put moments in there to humanize him like in this is in Batman forever instead, but there's like this really hilarious scene where, uh, you know, uh, the Riddler killed his boss and it's deemed a suicide. And, uh, there's the scene where like this administrative assistant comes up to Val Kilmer and he's like, I want full benefits for his family. And they're like, Oh, but suicide's not covered under our blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I know full benefits. (laughs) Oh, how generous of you, Bruce Wayne to, give benefits to this guy's family like i don't know i feel like they try to add in these like little moments to make him seem like he's not a cold-hearted rich villain who's hoarding wealth and but here's the thing here's the even even deeper part of that scene which yet again highlights why bruce wayne is a complete dick their company policy is to not cover suicide so like yeah, he it's already has policy. It. It's not the insurance coverage that they carry. It's like that is, I mean, right. Yeah. He already has it spelled out that he doesn't care if you die by suicide, but because this one is being like publicized because he killed himself on company property, he is just saving face. Like, can, can we agree on that? Can we agree yeah. that the only reason oh, he's sure. like full benefits is because he did that on company, uh, company time, essentially, exactly. If he had done it at home, uh, nope. Company policy would have stayed in place. Exactly. No. And also the other thing too, is like, it's, it is so beyond obvious that he is Batman in these movies. Like he doesn't even really try to hide it that much. Like the scene where they're bidding on poison Ivy is like, he just immediately starts saying like $1 million. And it's like, how the f- does Batman have all this money? Huh. Well, he's Batman. Is rich. Also. Oh my God. The bat credit card. <laughs> well, he never leaves home without leave the cave without it. Yeah, because of Good course you had <laughs> you had to build Good in that commercial. <laughs> oh my god! 
Oh, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, it's like he is just so obvious of the fact that he is Batman. Uh, it is absurd. And I love that in Batman and Robin, just George Clooney cannot be bothered to be Batman. Like he does not. And I know that I said this at the end of our uh, Lost Boys episode. He is the only Batman that doesn't do growly Batman voice. Even Adam yeah. West has a different voice when he is being, you know, like very suave and debonair. Uh, Bruce Wayne. And then when he's being Batman, he at least kind of slows it down and, and talk like even Adam West <laughs> changes his voice when he is portraying Batman, which, OK, we're not I talking know. about the original Batman. However, we're going to talk about the original Batman for a second, because I don't know how many of the episodes uh, you've seen. And I can't remember if this is something that took place in one of the episodes or something that took place in the movie in the 60s movie. But when Batman is talking on the phone to Bruce Wayne it is comedy <laughs> gold because it's he's so, he's in the so bat cave awesome. and so he has his regular phone and he has his bat phone and so he's like having to negotiate with himself to pay a ransom for himself it is it is one of the most bizarre and one of the best scenes in all of batman it's, and i don't i don't even care that i'm exaggerating brilliant. it's so good it's it's legitimately kind of brilliant when you think about it. Uh, the fact that he, they really are, to a certain extent, two different people. Um, which I kind of, this kind of, to a certain extent, leads me to my my big question on these movies. And my big question is: Is Batman gay? I mean, like, maybe there's there's this big there's there's this big thing that's kind of made it like, especially with the nipples on the bat suit. Like a lot of people accuse Joel Schumacher of kind of trying to make it like to fetishize Batman because he, because Joel Schumacher is a gay man. And there's something that's kind of homophobic about that to a certain extent. I think just a little bit. It's like, Oh, because you're like, did you try to make it whatever? But there's also like George Clooney has said that he played Batman as a gay character uh, because, you know, Schumacher kind of made the point of like, there's some parallels between the fact that Batman is in the closet or in the cave, as you will, I guess. <laughs> and he spends all of his time alone. He's not committed to like, he's in these relationships with women that are very high profile, but it feels more like just a facade to save face or whatever. You know, like you said, he spends a lot of time just trying to save face as a rich dude. Um, and, you know, he has a thing for leather. <laughs> and also, he's also the one who like, he's the one who's uh with poison ivy it kind of where like her pheromones wear off in, on him a lot quicker um i don't know there's just something about that idea that i think is interesting and then too that's not even getting into the whole dynamic between him and robin uh, I... actually i read this article or i'm gonna start using this for other things too but it was a slate article um by uh what's his name like greg weldon i think but basic i'm sorry glenn weldon um and he was talking about like some of the gay subtext in batman and robin and he's like it's actually not even subtext it's dom text <laughs> talking about the relationship between batman and robin and i'm like that is f***ing hilarious and kind of true because batman is really constantly trying to dominate robin throughout this entire movie and robin ultimately does submit to a certain extent i don't i don't know like he, he kind of fights back but then ultimately he's just like okay sure whatever you say daddy wayne so i i don't um, think that batman is gay i think that batman is probably um 
uh, polyamorous. Like, I, I don't think that he's gender. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't think that he's gender fluid. I, I think that Batman, I mean, I, he definitely has some, uh, some underlying identity issues, but I, I don't think that he would be on the, uh, like gender fluid spectrum, but I do think that, you know, Batman's open for banging whatever. I don't know that if is Bruce exactly Wayne is, what I was going to get to. I think that, Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that is again like Two Face and these man these movies could be so much darker. Um, I I think that that is part of why Bruce Wayne's relationships never work out is because I I think that Bruce Wayne is he is either straight or um I don't know but I I don't. If Bruce Wayne is polyamorous, I don't think that he allows himself to accept it. I think that he has to, you know, for whatever his, yeah. his legacy or his family's legacy, I think that he has to present himself as, nope, I, I am a rich multi-mega millionaire, so, like, this is the me that people expect me to be, which is why he then spends so much time as Batman is because then he's able to embrace who he is a little bit more. Um, and yes, I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. Cause, cause the, the yeah, Batman smile is was, very fascinating. Well, cause the Batman smile was genuine when he was about to bang Nicole Kidman. Like he, he totally showed up with a bat boner and uh, even <laughs> in, even in Tim Burton's Batman, when is, is it, no, in, just in all of them. Like when Batman is kissing um, a Catwoman, and when Batman is with um, oh crap, why am I drawing a blank on the uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? So like Batman as Batman, he he's got a thing for the ladies, but I also think he has a thing for everyone. So yeah, yeah, I, I I'm with you. I think that he's definitely poly. I think that like the thing that he's most attracted to in general is just like a sense of danger. Um, like if he's he's not really living, if he's not living life on the edge, and it's like he is immediately attracted to anyone who challenges him, which is why there's like there there's some uh, especially in the comics. This is getting a little metatextual, but like with the Joker, there is uh, there. There were certain lines in some of the comics where you know um, it's almost like a an on again off again relationship, and even they even in the Lego Batman movie. Have you seen it? The Lego yeah. Batman movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, so like that whole thing, that whole thing with them, like I'm I've been fighting around at the beginning, where he's like, oh yeah, I'm your uh, Joker's like, I'm yeah, I'm your biggest enemy, and then he's like, I'm fighting a few different people. I like to fight around. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, like yeah that is a very kid friendly way of getting at the fact that like batman is uh a polyamorous person he totally has a thing for just being with people who challenge him in some way and i do think that he fetishizes danger and enjoys punishing himself to a certain extent um i I don't know i there's there's so much here that we could dig into and i find it fascinating that it's actually kind of addressed to a certain extent in Batman and Robin, especially. I love like that. This is where we it. took the conversation because, uh, I wasn't planning on it going there. No, I had to, I had to ask because I was looking into, you know, some of the, uh, it, it just kind of stemmed from the whole bat nibble conversation. And I 
kept seeing people say that, like, oh, well, jo- Joel Schumacher's a gay man, so, you know, that's probably why he did that, because he, he enjoys the male form. And it's like, that's... That's... I don't, I don't like that. It, I don't like that the, criticism, and especially since, like, in, this, in Batman and Robin, he also does the same thing with Batgirl, too, so it's... Well, it's, it's just the skin-tight but, yeah. leather outfits, you know? They're aerodynamic, I guess. I don't know. And and again, Alfred is the one who creates them. <laughs> so anyway, that was my. <laughs> so Alfred again, he is the one who is controlling. He's the puppet master to to everything, including baby to a certain extent, Bruce's sexuality. Yes. Yes. Uh, Alfred is totally accepting of anything Batman does. You can tell too. Like anytime he walks in on Batman doing something weird, he's just like, "Okay, cool, carry on. You do you, man." <laughs> He's a good dad. <laughs> he's well. He's he's the fun uncle, you know. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. His actual dad. If if his dad had lived through the uh, the theater shooting, his actual dad probably would have been this super severe, dominating kind of figure. I mean, like, what? no, you have to live up to the legacy. You have to wear a suit to a baseball game. What? <laughs> you you have to rely solely on money and not care about anyone. And yeah, yeah. Um, all right, yeah. So, Nathan, do we have any other emotions related to Batman and Robin? Um, no, on, only so many, slightly. But... Yeah, t- t- tons, but in terms of actual time to get through all of them. Um, I want to know, who do you think is the best Batman, and who is the best Bruce Wayne? Like, I, I, I want your rankings. And, okay, we can't obviously include all of them, Um but we're going to kind of include all of them. So there is the sixties era, Adam West. There is Michael Keaton. There is Val Kilmer and George Clooney and the dude that played him in the animated series. And I don't have that pulled up right now. And Will Arnett from Lego Batman and uh, Christian Ooh, man, I wasn't and George Clooney. I was not George about Clooney, uh, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Um, man, that's it's a tough question because, like, I, like I said, I do actually legitimately like Ben Affleck's portrayal as like an older kind of Batman. Um, I would say that I think that Christian Bale is the best Bruce Wayne. Um, and uh, it's been show, I, show I, your I work. Seen, uh, Christian Bale's the best Bruce Wayne because he is the kind of guy who really plays into the personality more than any of the others. Like. In uh, the Dark Knight, like his alibi in the one scene, I can't remember exactly what the context is, but he has this alibi where he was um, actually off on a yacht partying with models. And it's like you can tell that as Bruce Wayne, he doesn't really give a shit about any of that, but he is living up to, again, kind of like what we talked about a little bit with George Clooney's character. He is living up to the image of Bruce Wayne to the extent that he does it to cover up the fact that he is Batman. Like he is not like he's the best Bruce Wayne because he's not Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is his mask that he wears and Batman is who he really is. Okay. Um, but I can, I, actually, I can dig it. Like there's kind of a Superman thing to me there where super, you know, with Superman is who he is. And Clark Kent is the persona that he right. puts on. I think that Christian Bell does the same thing with, that and because of that i actually think that makes him a good bruce wayne because i feel like that's how you would have to be in order to actually be a believable batman um but but man he's got that really bad batman voice so i think the best (laughs) batman is michael keaton he has the worst (laughs) well at least in the first movie um 
But I just love, I love Michael Keaton as Batman more because he is like, I think that with Batman Returns, especially he is a really good foil for the villains. You know, I think the villains are kind of the star of the, uh, the show and the Burton movies, but I don't know. I think that as Batman, like you get a little bit more of the sense of fun that he has and the way that he kind of enjoys being Batman, but also wrestles with it to a certain extent. And also I think you get that dichotomy better. Um, where you see kind of like how the villains are exaggerated versions of his flaws. I can't really back that up with any specific examples off the top of my head, but I don't know. I like Michael Keaton a lot as Batman. Interesting. And Batman Returns especially. I am going to go with either. Even though he does kill people. Well, yeah. Well, all of them at some point have at the very least let someone die. I mean, even Christian Bale is like, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Sure, yeah. Damn, it's the same thing. Anywho. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, doesn't really <laughs> yeah. work that way, but. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go, we have very different reasonings. I'm going to go with a tie between Adam West and Michael Keaton as the best Bruce Wayne because they seem okay. like the two most genuine Bruce Waynes. Like, if Batman ceased to exist, yeah. Uh, both of them, Adam West and, um, uh, Michael Keaton, their portrayal of Bruce Wayne seems like there would not be a change in who Bruce Wayne is. He would continue to be who he is. So like with uh, Christian Bale having to yeah, the opposite like, of what I said, <laughs> right? Because it, because he's having to put on such a farce of who he is to, uh, to completely separate Batman from Bruce Wayne. Once he stops mm-hmm. being Batman, who Bruce Wayne is changes. Like he's not going to be that same Bruce Wayne. And that's why I think he's the best because it's like Bruce Wayne is Batman. No, no, no. Um, I, yeah, I get anyway, that. But I, I definitely hear what you're saying though. And I, I do love, I love Adam West and, and Michael Keaton so much. Like it's hard to, to pick between them. So yeah, anyway, go on. Well, and, and like some of the other Batman, you only care about Bruce Wayne because they are Batman. I feel like mm-hmm. with both Adam West and Michael Keaton, like I care about I, I, I care about Bruce Wayne when they are portraying him, you know? So like when Bruce yeah. Wayne is having that big gala, like it feels like a, a gala that Bruce Wayne would put on rather than just a show that Batman is putting on as Bruce Wayne to try to. So yeah, that's, uh, that's why I think that they are the best Bruce Wayne's now. Well, uh, okay. Actually, it's going to be a three-way tie. Uh, the animated Batman series um he is also just oh, i didn't even yeah i didn't I, even consider kevin conroy because kevin conroy is the real answer for both of those questions <laughs> honestly well he is tied for both uh for both my answers and we're not even talking about all of the other different forms of animated animated batman just the late 90s uh animated batman series which is probably the best version of batman like the batman universe overall um by far yeah so so yeah he he is also in a three-way tie for the best bruce wayne he is also in a tie for the best batman and the reasoning is drastically different so i'll start with kevin conroy as batman um in in the same way that his bruce wayne is so bruce and like when he is bruce wayne like you buy it that is bruce wayne the batman Mm -hmm. is also sufficiently dark uh, and and 
um, and brooding, but also not actively trying to kill people. And you also get the emotional side of yeah. Batman. Like when something bad happens, you see it in that bat face. And so, so I think that he is the best Batman. <clears throat> sorry, tied for the best Batman because he has the most humanity as Batman. No, no, that's that's a that's a really good point. I it's kind of funny because I don't even really look at Batman as a character. I look at him more as an idea, which I guess is kind of where I was coming from. But well, I think as a character, <laughs> you make some really good points. Hold, hold on, Batman, really, hold on, because sorry, ahead, who's tied for the best Batman is Will Arnett in the Lego uh, movies because he <laughs> is so the good. most I'm Batman. And just full on goes into the Batman is awesome. I am Batman. I can save everything because I'm Batman. I'm the best. And, and I'm so, like he, he's the one who really leans into how selfish Batman is. Exactly. Like, I love that. He's so vain and full of himself and so lonely. Like I legitimately think Lego Batman is one of the best Batman movies. Yep. And I keep forgetting about that. Uh man, yeah, I, I so, kind of want to change my answer. Like, like I even love Will Arnett. even Will Arnett as Batman like sleeps in the Batman mask as Bruce Wayne. Like, yeah, <laughs> like there is no Bruce in in the Lego Batman. Shit, uh, yeah, I changed my answer. Will Arnett <laughs> is the best Batman. He's so good. He they just that movie just totally gets Batman in such a fun. Like, it's obviously kind of a metatextual thing again where it's like we know this character and, like, it makes references to all of the other versions of Batman. But also at the same time, like, it sees through the mask to a certain extent and is like, this is who Batman is at his core and we're just going to blow that up to its extreme. But also make him still very empathetic and humane, like, by showing how lonely this life is like it's really a brilliant movie i, I love it and will well, Arnett's and, perfect and, and also because regardless of which batman um like thinking of it in terms of toys and little kids playing with those toys regardless of which form of batman kids are playing with slash as they are playing as the will Arnett version of batman like the i'm Absolutely, batman i can yeah. do anything like that is what a kid is going to say when they are you know being batman so uh <laughs> so my mm. answers for best Batman and best Bruce Wayne really both I, involve man, uh, animated people. Yeah. Also, the best Robin is absolutely Michael Sarah in Lego Batman too. Well, I don't know. I love Burt Ward too. <laughs> Burt Ward is amazing, but uh, it's so funny too because I like. There's a pure point in my life where I considered myself to be a Batman purist, where it was like. I only accept the comic book version where it's like Batman is a dark and brooding figure. And blah, blah, blah. But now that I'm older and, and have a little bit more experience, it's like thinking about it, like trying to take Batman seriously is kind of a farce in and of itself. Like you're talking about something that is inherently ridiculous. Um, and two, like taking him seriously also makes Batman even more problematic because he is a vigilante yep. who takes justice into his own hands. And despite the fact that he has a moral code, he's still like there's a really really compelling argument to be made that batman actually makes crime much worse like that yep 
and the when we do our 70s episode because batman exists yeah well we're, and, yeah we're gonna get into this and, oh we, we are so gonna get into vigilanteism sure. in our 70s decade episode uh but like that's that's one of the main things that christopher nolan does in his movies is like the weirdo batman creates weirdo villains because uh, you know simple street gangs don't stand a chance so like you have to meet that outlandishness to to match to match the vigilante and mm-hmm. and it makes sense and i think you also get a glimpse of that in batman and robin with those street gangs and mm-hmm. yep um so well, it's kind of like it's like batman emboldens these people to be like hey look here's a crazy dude who's going out at night and just like having a laugh and kicking the shit out of people and Again, like I, I like that in a lot of these movies, there's an implication that he does it. I mean, one because he wants to clean up the streets or whatever, but like he, Batman enjoys beating people up. Like he likes doing it. It is yep. an addiction for him to a certain extent, and the same is true of the villains. And and this is why, again, I think of Batman is more interesting to me almost as an idea, and why in some cases, like the villains are almost always going to be the more compelling character because Batman is is an idea and is a symbol. I mean, again, that, that's literally something that they get into with the Nolan movies, especially it's like Batman is a symbol more than he is a human being. Um, I, there's just, uh, this is why I love Batman. I'm so glad we did this. It's been a long time since I've really talked about Batman and I was so <laughs> obsessed with Batman for such a long time that I kind of like backed away from it because I was driving Allie crazy talking about Batman so much, but uh, <laughs> sure. But like to get into this again is so, I, I just love this character so much and, and fascinated. And there's, so many so two quick things and then for the sake of time we probably should wrap uh, up that it works on so thing number one um with the like batman purist and oh like it needs to be dark and brooding like there's a lot of early comics where he is a lot more silly and cartoonish like i think that there i think that there's a, a a comic book where the joker is like trying to steal like 500 hamburgers like there is some yeah, really the, uh, stupid uh, stuff and and so like that sort of silly sure. campy like that is part of the actual comic book canon as well it really just depends on which version of batman you like like i don't think that any uh film representation of batman has been wrong if you're going to say well into comics because the comics have changed so much so sure, if you like yeah. campy there's campy if you'd like more of the batman detective comics you get a ton of that in the animated series if you like more of you know like batman beyond like th- there's just so many different versions that there's not really a wrong way to go uh one last thing that i want to point out because we have not talked about this and then again we should probably start wrapping up how stupid is mr freeze's plot <laughs> First off, first <laughs> off, really, I need to get a giant diamond so that I can freeze the city to get $10 billion when uh, that enormous diamond that he steals first off at the very beginning and then also from Bruce. Wouldn't the two of those just be worth $10 billion? Like, can't he just hawk those on the black market and, and get the money that he needs? His plan is stupid. Well, thing number his plan two is so stupid. Th- and real, real, real quick, has real quick, real quick. Thing number two, his suit runs on diamonds. I'm sorry. Like, how <laughs> how are diamonds fuel? That's they, just stupid, and I love they it. They refract it's, lasers, it's, and the lasers are cold, and they keep his body cold. And, so. uh, also, I love that his body has to be at zero degrees. We don't know if it's like Celsius or if it's 
Fahrenheit. It's just zero or, degrees. Or Kelvin. Uh, I maybe I, Kel- Yeah. I, man, can you <laughs> but, imagine how much energy would have to like? It's not that the diamonds ref like. Okay, the way that they talk about it, it is stupid because it's almost like we need these diamonds to power up the suit because whatever, they refract the light and blah, 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 blah. Fine. What's powering the light? What is the main source of power that is actually (laughs) charging that suit? God, it's dumb and I love it. So dumb. (laughs) It is so dumb. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about. Hold on. I have to mention really fast two things. So, first of all, um the scene where you find his hideout. I love that every Batman villain has like a hideout that is super obvious based on their personality. Like Joker is going to hide out in an abandoned circus and and they're always abandoned locations too, which is late. Um, And in this one, Mr. Freeze hides out in like an abandoned ice cream shop. The scene where it shows them in there and he is in the robe and the little uh, bear slippers while watching the Rankin and Bass cartoons and having a, He's like having his minions sing along to like the Mr. White Christmas. I'm Mr. Snow while eating literal frozen dinners <laughs> is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Like every time I see it, it's just so delightfully it is so hilarious and so funny. And I love how absurd it is. Uh, yep. Oh, my God. So anyway, the other thing, too, is. At the very end of this movie, it completely undermines itself because at the very end, when Batman defeats Mr. Freeze, he's like, I need to work together with you so we can f- create this this uh, formula, this antidote to cure your wife and cure Alfred. And Mr. Freeze hands him those two little vials and says, take two of these and call me in the morning. And it's like, no, you no, mean no, that- to tell me antidote the whole time for the early stages he did not have the antidote for his wife because okay, she was in I a mean, much later ad, like advanced stage of it in the same way sure. that like with cancer it's much easier to like defeat cancer if you catch it early and it's the early stages when it's you know stage four then uh nope you're kind of doing that makes sense but also alfred was literally about to die so i don't know it's uh, I mean, I'll, I'll buy. It. I mean, either way, it's n- not a damn thing in any of these movies makes sense. But uh, I, I also love the here. I'll work with you, but you're still gonna totally rot in jail uh, or freeze in jail. Yeah. I guess technically he wouldn't rot; he would be preserved. I, I do kind of. Yeah, true. Uh, I do kind of. <laughs> though, I mean, there was a point in the movie where Owen said, "Dad, did you know that Mister Freeze actually isn't a villain?" Um, and I was like, huh? And because he's talking about, he's like, yeah, he's just trying to save his wife. And it's like, you know, Mr. Freeze is like the only villain in any of the, well, besides Poison Ivy again, I guess, but Mr. Freeze actually has some kind of noble intention behind what he's doing, even though he's obviously doing the wrong thing and he's a bad guy. And I had to have a talk with Owen. That's like, yeah, that doesn't mean it's okay to, (laughs) to, you know, freeze people and, and try to destroy the world and all that other stuff. But I mean, you I, I hope that you had the same conversation with, and it's not okay to be Batman <laughs> because Batman is doing well, equally terrible things. I've talked about how being rich uh, is not that cool, even though uh, technically that is his superpower. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yep. but yeah, no, like, I don't know. I think there's something that's interesting about the fact that my youngest son, who I said he was six earlier, he's seven. Holy shit, it is 20. This year has been just. Anyway, he's seven years yep. old. He turned seven a couple months ago. Uh, my brain is mush. But anyway, but the, I, I just love the fact... When kids just change he, age, he they are still their previous age. That's like, true. Like, if he just he, turned seven a couple months re- ago, he's still six. 
<laughs> that's that's very true. Um, but I love the fact that even at that young of an age, he recognizes the humanity of, of Mr. Freeze. And, and I do think there is something that's kind of humane about the way Arnold Schwarzenegger portrays that character. Uh, so, but anyway, we are two, running out of time. So two more things because... Two, two more things really quick if we have time because ah, if we've talked this long how could i not say them thing number one that's part of what makes batman the animated series the best batman overall just batman world because of things like mr freeze in uh, in the animated series is like smart and suave and and classy and just tortured by the fact that his wife is frozen and he has to live in a constant state of being frozen. But he has a ton of humanity and poison. Ivy yeah, his, is also like classy. His and, arc is amazing. Yeah. And all of the villains in the animated series, even the Joker, like you feel bad for the Joker in a lot of episodes and, ah, oh, man, the Batman, the animated series is perfect. It is. Actually, oh God, it's perfect. I actually, uh, it's so good. I just bought the entire series and I'm going to go through with the kids and watch everything on there because I think it's so good. And also like we're going to, I'm going to try and start that after we go through the star Wars movies. Cause we started uh, the star Wars movies this summer. Um, and I can't wait until we get to Joker in the Batman animated series and to be able to tell him, tell them that it's Luke Skywalker. Like I just so, can't wait. So be aware that some of the episodes do get dark. Like one of the early episodes with man bat, like you see some of Man Bat's transformation, and it, it's kind of dark it for is a cartoon. Horrifying, I know. Yeah. So just just be aware of that. Okay, last it's, thing. It's really good. There's some definite Universal Monster stuff there. To the, go on, go there on. there are a ton of things that I want to talk about, but last thing is Batman and Robin making the point that global warming will save us all. Because when Gotham is frozen, the way that they save it is by uh, redirecting the sun's rays to make everything warm again. Is, and, and with the comment earlier of we have to destroy the rainforest so that we have heat and are able to preserve food. Um, I got to hope oh, that Schumacher was making like a, a satirical comment about the way that rich people view the world because... That, that that has to be it. He surely Schumacher did not think that destroying the rainforests and global warming was the way to save humanity. Um, I totally forgot too to mention the fact that like that's another super villainy thing about Bruce Wayne is the fact that he's putting together this observatory that will allow you to look in on any place in in the Earth. And it's like he says, "Don't point it at my bedroom very cheekily or whatever." But it's like, dude, you now have the ability to spy on literally any human being on the planet. You yep. are a supervillain. You what? are Zuckerberg and hard right now. <laughs> and again, pointing to some of the genius of Schumacher, that's the exact same plot point of Dark Knight with the I can use all of these cell phones for echolocation. Like, yeah, Schumacher was like, oh, yeah, let's have Batman's money. Give him the ability to spy on whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And um, yep. All right. We need to wrap things up. Yeah. Because, I love that oh, my God. We talked so Knight. much. I know. <laughs> Not surprising. Trying to cover two movies. We're going to have to do more Batman. Nathan, let's, let's vow to do Batman Returns this Christmas um, and go dive back into this again. I mean, okay. We can also Maybe. just <laughs> next year, not that we don't have enough movies already planned or enough themes already planned for <laughs> May, but we can totally do Batman. Batman? May? Batman in May? Batman? Batman. Yes. Um, <laughs> so dumb. I think I think we can do better. We can do yeah. better. We'll, we'll, st- we'll, we'll stew on it. Bruce Maine. Ah, of course. Uh, oh, of course. Bruce Maine. Yeah, you, that's it. All right. 
<laughs> Bruce Mania. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yes. All right. God, how rewatchable are these movies? So rewatchable, especially Batman Robin, man. Like I, it's like just slipping into a nice warm robe or something. Like I just immediately, I have a smile on my face the entire time watching this movie. It's just pure joy. I, I love it. Flaws and all. I don't understand how anybody could watch this movie and not be completely thoroughly entertained by it. Yep. Uh, I, I agree. Super rewatchable. They like, they're dumb. They're silly. They are there. There are definitely some uh, glimpses of genius and there is absolutely that Schumacher touch of giving you a fully developed world that you honestly don't need. You do not need all of the world building that he puts into these movies, but that's part of what makes them so great and gives them all of their color and personality. And without that world building, they would be very Roger Moore esque, uh, um, in the world of James Bond, nothing against Roger Moore. I love the Roger Moore James Bond movies. They're they're good. <laughs> it's just he is very middle of the road when it comes to uh, Bonds. Um, but yeah, with, without the Schumacher touch of just building that world and giving it that color and that neon and interesting characters and Bane in a uh, uh, trench coat and and <laughs> hat. And trench coat. Yeah, so. <laughs> They're, they're dumb, they've got flaws, but they're still just so much fun, and I don't want to rewatch them that often, because there are so many better movies that I could watch with my time, but they are also movies that, like, I, I honestly don't really see myself turning down watching Batman and Robin. Batman Forever, yes, I would turn that down more often than not. But Batman and For Robin, sure, yeah. like with going through all of this and actually talking about these movies again, like I, I really want to, to put on <laughs> Batman and Robin and watch it with commentary. Like I, I want to watch it again. It's just fun. It's dumb, but it's I'm, fun. And I love it. I'm so happy that you and I are on board with Batman and Robin because I was really afraid that you were just going to be like, that movie sucks. Like. Dude, I, I hate that again, that's the consensus. Your I'm, your first episode, I'm for a critical reevaluation. Your first episode was uh, Super Mario Bros, and I spent what like a solid hour extolling the virtues of uh, why Ernest Goes to Camp is one of the most technically proficient movies ever made. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> There's a reason <laughs> that we take movies seriously, but not ourselves, so that we can enjoy. <laughs> dumb silly fun movies and not be elitists uh all right who do you recommend either of these slash both of these movies for damn um i want to say everyone i i really want people who i guess if you're what you consider a purist which again if you're a purist you would probably enjoy all facets of batman's personality and all the different ways it's been mutated to fit these different kind of styles um but i think that if you watch this movie back in the 90s and were upset by it because you were expecting a Burton movie that's more serious, then I think that, and especially if you enjoy just big, over-the-top, goofy, fun movies, and you can kind of like turn your brain off and just sit with it and have a good time, like, I really hope that a lot of people who hated this movie when they first saw it go back and give it another shot, because I think there are legitimately some great things about it. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know. If you, if you don't like it, I guess that's fine. But uh, yeah, I recommend it for people who hate it. That's 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 my recommendation. <laughs> We've had a lot Go of those recommendations. You might you might have 
fun with it. Uh, I absolutely agree. You have to watch these as a reboot. They are not part of the Burton universe. I don't care what actual canon says. They aren't. Rewatch Batman Forever as a reboot of Batman. And then, honestly, watch Batman and Robin as a soft reboot of Schumacher's Batman to make it fully Schumacher. But you, you have to watch them that way. Batman Forever has to be a hard reboot. Batman Forever is a soft reboot of Batman Forever. Um, so my recommendations, uh, it, if you enjoy mid-90s Jim Carrey, then you're going to enjoy Batman Forever. So if you're in the mood to watch things like The Mask or uh, Ace Ventura or, you know, back when back when he was just zany rubber face Jim Carrey, then watch Batman Forever because uh, that that really is the driving uh, personality, I guess, of these movies. There's other things that make them great, but if you love zany Jim Carrey, then that's that's the Riddler that you get in Batman Forever. For Batman and Robin, I've already made allusions to all of these, so it shouldn't be a surprise. But um, if you're a fan of Dick Tracy, Super Mario Brothers, and the 60s Adam West Batman, then you're going to enjoy, uh, with a dash of the Warriors, you're going to enjoy Batman and Robin. <laughs> and a Clockwork Orange. They have the, the Droogs in there as one of the... As one of the- Ooh, they are so... No, yeah. no. If you're a fan of Clockwork Orange, Batman and Robin <laughs> is not for you. And if you are a fan of Batman and Robin, if you That's watch Batman true. and Robin with your kids, for the love of God, do not watch Clockwork Orange with your children. There is nothing <laughs> even remotely Never. similar except for actually we probably could do an episode talking about all of the themes of uh, how Roddy McDowell's character is essentially Bruce Wayne and having to put on a face and totally selfish and self-absorbed and you yeah. said Roddy McDowell is, is that Malcolm what I said who did, who did I mean thank you said Roddy I, I you might mean Malcolm have. McDowell uh, yes I do mean Malcolm McDowell Roddy McDowell is <laughs> uh, crap he was the uh, he was in what did I just watch and they live Poseidon Adventure. He was in Poseidon Adventure. I think. Wait, no, I might be thinking of some. Anyway, I know I'm thinking of Roddy Roddy Popper. I'm such a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Although now oh, I want shit. to do a all triple right. feature with all three of them. Um, yes. All right. Eric, where do you want people to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Chimerican. That's T H E C H I M E R I C A N, or on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews, or on Letterbox at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me at slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. Uh, and I'm still in the process of updating uh, Letterboxd to actually include all of the films that we've actually covered in episodes. Um, or you can follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back for our in-depth analysis of silly movies such as Batman and Robin, then uh, be sure to follow wherever you get your podcast. Just do a search for Video monsters and we should i hope be the only thing that comes up um and yeah uh if you want to hear us talk about an entire decade's worth of movies don't worry we won't go into quite as much detail as we have with this one but we are continuing our decades series next up is going to be our coverage of the 70s um I don't know what individual movies we're going to be covering beyond our decades episode. We'll come up with that as, as we come up with things. Um, But uh, yeah, if you enjoy this, want to keep coming back again, just do a search wherever you get your podcast for video monsters. 
Alright, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. Eric, that's your cue to say, and I'm Eric. We, we might have lost Eric. And I'm Eric, sorry I was muted for a second. <laughs> Did you hear me? Yes. <clears throat> I'm, we'll, we'll do it again, just for, uh, it, just for cause. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And remember, kids, um, if you're into bat nipples, that's okay. There's, there's sure. something about an anatomically correct rubber suit that puts fire in a girl's lips. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, right. I gotta go pick up my kids from school before uh, I become uh, a supervillain. So, <laughs> but before you also put get uh, put in permanent freeze. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Come all back right. next time. Bye. Bye-bye. You, you know that I'm a dad, right? Like, <laughs> like I will make every dad joke at every opportunity and, and shit, it's not recording. Hold on.